Hard Liquor Hunting Stories Podcast. Proudly brought to you by Bolt Action Coffee, Safari Club International, Calgary Chapter, and Best Seven Barbers. Production assistance provided by Fighting Spirit Productions. Now, kick back with a cold one, relax, and enjoy our show. Welcome, 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 everyone. You're listening to the hunting. Oh, for fuck's sakes, I don't even remember the name of the show. I'm so fucking lit already. The Hard Liquor Podcast. Mark. The Hard Liquor and Hunting Stories Podcast, right? Or Yeah, yeah. Hard, hard Liquor, liquor and, hunting. and Hunting Stories Podcast. Oh, man, this is actually a really solid intro right now. I'm glad we had all these fucking gins. Or sorry, rum. Holy yeah. fuck. <laughs> Why am I so lost right now? All right, Are let's try that again. we got here? Oh, maybe. Ahem. <laughs> 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 okay, fuck it. Everybody get the phlegm out. Let's try that again. Okay, and five, four, three. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You're listening to the Hard Liquor and Hunting Stories podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Blair. And today we are joined by our special, famous, wonderful, ultra handsome guest, Mike Harkwell. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks. Can you get a little closer to the mic, dude, so we can all hear you? How's that? Oh, wow. Perfect. That is terrific. Wow, you got some good pipes, man. That sounds awesome. Thanks. So, Mike as is the spirit of the show. Uh, unfortunately, we are not joined by our lovely bartenderess Cassandra. The world has COVID right now, and under precautionary, uh, she's feeling under the weather. So unfortunately, she's not joining us today. But Blair, what are we drinking today, buddy? Well, uh, yeah, we're lucky that uh, Mike has simple taste, just uh, bamboo rum and Coke. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. I, I I quite like the bottle. Like, check out our, uh, yeah, check out our look, Instagram. It looks like something you... a pirate would drink out of. Yeah, it totally looks like a pirate. It looks like every... Every fucking bottle of booze that all the pirates in Pirates of the Caribbean are just carrying around constantly. Yeah, or Peter Pan. Peter Pan? Mm. Really? Does Peter Pan drink booze? Wow. So. Or is it Captain Hook and his crew? Well, Captain Hook. And the earlier yeah. the earlier version, right? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I've read the book. I think in the book they drink a lot of rum. I don't know Do if it's children's Disney. <laughs> 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 okay, well, let's get back to Mike. So, Mike, fellow veteran, served in Afghanistan. Uh, continues to serve in uniform. Why? I don't know. Um, Mike, you've been hunting a long time. We've known each other for a long time. Um, Tell us about yourself, man. Uh, Well, I started hunting. Well, my dad started me hunting probably when I was seven, eight. We'd go with him. Uh, We grew up, uh, I grew up in southern Alberta, south of Calgary by about an hour. So the Porcupine Hills is is home to me. It's your jam. Yeah, you bet. Um, After that, I moved up to Edmonton, did some hunting up there. Uh, Status, so I can can do a lot of hunting with almost almost no restrictions other than getting a little too silly. Uh, So, (laughs) so status. What, what can you tell us about status? So, uh, so status is you're able to prove that you have Aboriginal lineage. So, uh, I believe they, they they changed the percentage required, but at the time it was one thirty second required to be uh, labeled as quote Aboriginal. Um, so, what this was was they recognized your original um, traditions to hunt on the lands, and so you don't have to buy tags. Uh, you didn't have to follow all. Uh, the regulations, um, so you would be able to go out and uh, and and hunt on your own accord. And of course, there were still regulations. Obviously, it had to be you were harvesting meat for your immediate family. Right. Uh, nothing was going to waste. You were still being respect. You had to be respectful to the landowners. Obviously, you know, on crown land, it was a lot more open. 
Um, you couldn't sell the meat. Um, so no, mar- no market hunting, essentially. No market hunting, no. Um, so we actually, uh, we actually didn't find out that I was status until I was in grade eight. So what is that, like 14? And that's because my grandfather, who was in the forces too, he suppressed it so he could uh, uh, participate or work in the forces uh, and achieve higher rank. Yeah, because there were some times where, like, if you joined the military or you left your reserve, you actually had to give up status. You had to give up First Nation status. And it's probably worth pointing out that not all Indigenous peoples in Canada enjoy status. They're, if To be considered First Nations, it's actually a legal status that confers on it certain rights. Among them, the, uh, I guess, the unfettered right to hunt. Would you say that's that's an accurate description, or is that perhaps a little misguided understanding of it's, it? It's it's a little misguided. It's it's not it's it's not quite as open or, or unregulated. There's still uh, you know endangered species you have to watch out for. Well, yeah, watch yeah, out. absolutely. Right, you can't yeah. hunt them. Yeah. Um, and there's still areas where you should be uh, where you might have to tag into the uh, to the fish and wildlife and uh, and let them know where you're going to be, and especially if you want to go for like mountain goats and whatnot. Yeah. So, so are there exemptions made for, for example, so say there's an, um, an animal of, I guess, spiritual significance. Are there, are there certain exemptions for that? Oh gosh, to be honest with you, I don't, uh, I don't know. I know that a lot of cultures I, don't really appreciate you hunting, um, like albino spear, like yeah. albino animals because okay. they're the spirit animals, right? Yeah. There was a controversy a couple of years ago. In, um, uh, New Brunswick where an individual shot and harvested a white moose, and uh, to some of the tribes, or to some of the Aboriginal uh, people out there, the white moose was uh, a spirit animal, or sorry, a messenger animal from the gods. So, is there um, is there any animal like I, I don't know your um, your I guess your First Nations background? So, are, do you have like um, as far as because I know like here we have Treaty Seven here in Southern Alberta. Um, what treaty? I guess because like there's the Blackfoot Confederacy and. I'm sure I'm omitting a ton just from the sin of well, I don't know, I don't want to say omission, but just not knowing. Uh, what's what's your background, Mike? What what kind of area is your family from, et cetera? So uh, my family is uh, pretty much all from out east. My mother and my father. We draw our Aboriginal lineage from my father, um, and so ours is uh, is Micmac. Um, so per, pretty much in New Brunswick area there. Um, to be honest with you, I've never been really close to the reserve. The only time I actually been close to our our reserve was when I was working in CFB Gage Town, and uh, and that's about it. Um, so other than that, I can't tell you too much about it, other than um, yeah, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, well, you know, what? hey, that's that's totally fine, man. Like if somebody asked me to describe my heritage, I'd be lost at a lot of different junctions. No, yeah, yeah I there was a point in time where uh, where I wanted to trace that back and what have you, but uh, as you know, I was committed to the to the forces, right? And uh, pretty much at a young age, there uh, just took off with that, and and that took a lot of uh, a lot of my time. Yeah, being in the military, it's uh, it's kind of an all encompassing. It's one of these total institutions, right? It's almost like volunteer jail. <laughs> it's the way I would describe it. It is uh, like yeah. volunteer jail. I don't yeah. know why I went back, but I did. Yeah, <laughs> you all have to wear matching jumpsuits. <laughs> <laughs> you all have to live together in a gross uh, room. I think I think my most favorite description of one of the things is like drill in the forces, and it came from Blair, where it's like, oh, you guys, it's it's just kind of like a giant dance off happening. <laughs> so I every remember, time we do drills, it's just like it's a dance off. <laughs> was it Blair one time? I remember we were hanging out. I think you were there too, Mike. And uh, there was a couple other people there. And Blair's like, man, military sounds so awesome. Except every once in a while, you got to organize a lame dance every couple months. And, oh man, I laughed so hard at that. Because I think St. George's Day was coming up. So, of course, you know, the regimental dance was on. <laughs> <laughs> but 
<laughs> but anyway, enough enough about that. Yeah. So uh, so let, let's let's dive back into being out in the field. So so Mike, how did you get into hunting, man? Uh, so my dad was always into hunting. So he brought uh, he brought me and my brother into it at a pretty young age. I mean, I remember like being really young in uh, in grade two and three, and we would actually get pulled out of school uh, for the day to go out hunting with dad. And so it was just like a, it was just a day hunt uh, with uh, people that we not with people we knew, but on land uh, that was owned by people that we knew. So we didn't go too far, but we'd still get pulled out of school for the day, and we'd go out uh, just southwest of High River, and uh, and it was typically, you know, go maybe stock a little bit in a field but uh pretty easy hunts you know for us young guys to be part of it wasn't too uh too aggressive um or too challenging and and that's how we learned you know so it was being exposed to it at a pretty young age um seeing the animals seeing the animal go down and then we were we were in there with the field dressing you know right away and so it started i remember watching the first field dressing and then and then slowly getting to be a part of it and so it got to a point and all the way i should elaborate all the way from field dressing to skinning and then into butchering so my dad uh back before we were born he uh he used to run uh, a meat shop or a meat cutting shop and so he knew he knew how to process it and he passed it on to us so got on to a point when i was 15 16 that we would uh, take some of my dad's out my dad's friends out hunting he used to be uh, a firefighter a volunteer firefighter in Cayley. And we'd take some of those guys out and, and I'd show them, I'd show them the ropes, you know, how to stalk after they took the shot, how to dress it properly, what they wanted to look for, what they wanted to avoid cutting when they dress it. Oh yeah. <laughs> so is there a, were you introduced to any kind of rituals when you were, uh, when you're younger? Do you guys have like, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I know different cultures have different kind of practices, right? When an animal's taken, I know in, uh, in, in Europe there's, there's like kind of the last meal, they do like a whole tableau. Is is there anything associated with indigenous culture that was kind of brought in your hunts at a young age? No, not to be honest with you. No, oh, okay. it was uh, like oh, I said, it was very it was very uh, suppressed from my grandfather. Um, so we didn't really start exploring that until later on, and we already had um, we already had our our process. Um, now that's not to say we, there wasn't any reverence involved in it. Um, there was a lot of respect, uh, to the animals, um, when you're tracking them, when you took the shot, um, everything in, into the butchering, like nothing was wasted. I, I remember as a really young kid standing in the kitchen, um, when my, my dad would cut this thing up. And so instead of, obviously you're not going to trust a kid to cut yourself some steaks and whatnot, but you're, <laughs> you're going to throw him the bone. And oh, I yeah. remember as a kid, just peeling the meat off the bone, like those bones were white by the time I was done. And still to this day, you know, I still peel those bones white. And, uh, so a mutual friend of ours, uh, Steve Gow. Uh, yes. <laughs> Mr. Smoke trail, Steve, Mr. Smoke trail, Steve. Um, I've gone hunting with him time or a few times and, uh, and that's one of the things he'll he'll hand over a bone or or I'll make him I'll make him strip that bone clean so it's not not one bit wasted. Yeah, that's cause, awesome. Because you like you have your status right to like the complete spirit of what it's supposed to. I think like years ago I think you told me you usually take like two or three deer and then one large like an elk or a moose every year. Yeah, pretty much feed you for the year. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So. You know, like two or th- two or three deer or a moose, I should, yeah, oh, okay. is, is more accurate. Um, you know, sometimes it might be like, uh, it might be a moose and and, uh, and a deer if you kind of miss your opportunity here and there, or maybe you luck out. 
Um, but but nothing gets wasted, right? Nothing too too crazy. You, you don't overhunt it, but very. Um, I don't know if conservative is the right word, but but very Con- cautious. Yeah, yeah. Con- conservative, conservative. I, I think is a good term. Conservationist, yeah. perhaps. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I know you've recently had uh, had kids, Mike. Yeah. Congratulations. So I, and, thanks. Uh, I, I hear. Do do I say this? Is you got one kid? I got I got one one boy, one four year old boy, and one on the way. Oh, fantastic! So, yeah. so do you have a do you have plans to? Well, I don't know. Have you introduced them in the field? Do you have a certain kind of um, mindset or ethos that you're going to put into them, or are you going to bring some of that uh, yeah. indigenous culture into it, kind of embrace that a little bit more, I guess, or, or introduce that to it, kind of explore it together, kind of thing? Or yeah, I think uh, I think I'd like to bring him into it and see and see how he'd like to to take it. I mean, growing up, the the indigenous side wasn't all too included, uh, as I as I've said before, because it was uh, it wasn't until later on in my youth. But, but do you but, feel like that's something you missed out on? Like that's something you kind of that was lost, and now you're trying to reclaim that. Yeah, in I a think sense? so. Yeah, yeah awesome. absolutely. It would be it's definitely something I'd like to to reach back, and I've tried. I've been trying more and more to reach back into and learn more, right? Um, and it's uh, it's something that I would like to uh, incorporate with my little guy's upbringing. And so, you know, first steps first. Let's see if he's actually into it. But I'm fully <laughs> game to introducing him into this. And so. My wife seems a little bit hesitant, but uh, <laughs> I've definitely been scouting out, you know, junior twenty-two rifles to get them into uh, to start marksmanship and what have them. Oh, that's fantastic! I got my little dude a Red Rider, and that kind of got him into the game. Nice. Um, he's, uh, he's definitely loving it. He's getting pretty close. If he's four, he's only a couple years out. I, I remember like being like six, and my dad put me in a tree stand like across from him. And being so bored sitting there, <laughs> like six years old. This is now what a six-year-old well, wants to do. Well, player, didn't didn't. You- Blair, like, uh, didn't you get like a 270 when you were eight years old? <laughs> I still have the same 270. <laughs> oh, oh man, that's uh, oh man, that's great. So, so Mike, the title of the podcast is the Hard Liquor and Hunting Stories Podcast. Giving a little bit about your background, just a little bit who you are. We both know who you are, Blair and I, because we've been—I don't want to say exposed to you because that sounds like <laughs> something a little more. Uh, a little more, well... I don't think I don't we know. should share those stories. Edgy. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we were so when, you, when you think hunting, um, uh, what are some of your favorite hunting stories, man? Could, we, could, you, could you share one with us, man? Like, Yeah, you know, uh, well, first of all, I think my, my most favorite hunting story has already been shared with you by... Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm totally bummed out. out. We kind of talked about this when, uh, when you showed up because they're... There's this great story about Steve kind of kind of being a dick to his fellow hunters, <laughs> um, uh, but I, I guess uh, a close runner-up. Maybe, maybe it is my favorite. Is actually the first uh, the first moose we uh, we shot, and uh, so I would have been 12 years old. Uh, it would have been Christmas break in school, and uh, I remember my mom going to my dad saying, "You got to get you got to get this guy out of the house." And, uh, so he took me out for a, for a hunting trip and really it was, it's more of a shooting trip, right? We're just going out for a day trip into the Porcupine Hills and dad had a lot of friends out there. And so we, um, I remember we stopped at the, uh, the bakery, the, I, at the time it was the IGA in Nanton and we picked <laughs> up uh, a coil of garlic sausage and, uh, and cheese bread and, uh, kind of a small detail, but every time I go by that store, I'll stop in there and garlic coil and cheese oh that's awesome yeah, hey taste and smell man very strongly linked to memory absolutely yeah for sure and i remember uh we went out into the porcupines we were going all day and we uh we we'd go up into the hills and we push and bush and we didn't see anything and we'd go down the roads and we didn't see anything okay well we're turning around and 
it is what it is. And I remember my dad pointing to the uh, to the south. He's like, well, you know what? Day's not over. And the day's not over. Just uh, look out the window and let me know if you see something. And pretty much like right after that, I was like, what do you mean like that? And he slams the brakes. And I, I, sh- <laughs> I should elaborate. <laughs> we had this 2000 GMC Safari van. So not really what you want to take out hunting, but it's what we have. I've been on some pretty aggressive soccer mom mobiles, so don't <laughs> yeah. worry. Like if you're having trouble there, there's just a pillow behind you. You can. Oh, thanks. Yeah, sorry. Sorry to interrupt, but I. I... I see you looking very uncomfortable for a few seconds. There. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Um, and so I said, well, what do you mean that? And we look out the window and there's this, this black speck that kind of stands out in what looks like willow trees. And he's like, yeah, like that. And it's it's a moose or it's, you know, we, we put this, we put the glass on him and it's a moose. It's like, oh, okay. So we get out and we got permission to be on this land and um, we go across the field and we go maybe 100 meters and, it, and this moose kind of stands up. And it's a small moose. And it's like, well, it's got to be a calf. Maybe it's lost its mother from like an accident or hunting. And All right. Well, okay. Being status, we can take this. And is it ethically correct? Well, you know, it's a calf. I don't see any, I don't see its mom. Is it really going to survive? Let's, let's do this. And it's going to be easier for this older guy and this younger guy to take care of. And so uh, my dad was a bigger fellow, right? And so we maybe walked another 50 meters and he's kind of out of breath. He's like, okay, Mike. Um, this thing's standing up and he's like, Hey, come here. So I get in front of him and, uh, he's like, okay, I'm going to put the rifle on your shoulder. I'm going to take a shot. So just stand still. So go, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, wait, you have, you have, you have the, sh- the right, you're essentially his, uh, his, his rest. Bipod. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm rest. You're his rest for this shot. Oh, yeah. So this is why people have kids. <laughs> <laughs> And so uh, I just remember this rifle going across my shoulder and in front of me and I put my hands over my ears, right? Um, but I was excited and so I must have been moving and he says something and I take my hands away and it's just as I do. Wham! He takes the shot. <laughs> and I just remember being a little bit like, holy crap. And the animal goes down and it's like, he says something. He's like, what did you just say? He said, oh, I said, just stand still. Thanks. <laughs> those, those homemade ear, prote- or, uh, ear pro didn't really work. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, of course, we're, we, we go up and we, we, we're going to go recover the animal. And so we walk maybe about another 20 steps. And uh, let me lay out the, the landscape. We walked about 150 meters. Uh, to what 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 looked like a plateau and then there was a little dip and it looked like this moose was on a hillside that's what it looked like from where we were sitting and we walked about another 20 steps and we realized it's a false crest oh and then so down from us is another hill and another hill and another hill so there's three hills in between us and the moose and we're starting to slowly piece it together that well this wasn't like a 200 150 200 meter shot that's not a that's not a calf. Those aren't tiny willows. That's not a calf moose. We get up to this thing and it was the biggest cow moose I have ever, still I have ever seen. Even the one referenced by Steve in that last one, it was bigger than this. Even as a, it's not just because you were a little guy and everything is huge when you're tiny. No, no way. No way. I remember. Um, so we get up to this thing and these willows are just tall, right? Thinned out, but tall. Is it kind of swampy there? Because the moose... Moose really like moose that really like shit. it at the yeah. bottom of the hill. There was this on the top of the hill, obviously. Or sorry, on the side of the hill, not so much, but at the bottom there was. The, the only reason I know that is because every time I'm with Blair out in the field and we're in the shittiest 
swampiest, grossest place. Oh, there's moose there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Real good ability to find moose somehow. Yeah, I remember you were like Blair saying moose is like his spirit animal. It is his spirit animal. We had like this weird talk about this. and Well, anyway, that's this left for a better day. Sorry, Mike. Anyway, Karen. No. So I remember getting up to this thing and I was like, you got to remember, I was 12 years old. Yeah, and this good is shot like, by your dad. Got her right in the neck and uh, it ricocheted <laughs> down and took out the heart. Oh, wow. So like lucky. I remember trying something very similar to that. Years it was maybe five six years ago, and uh, and went for the neck. It, it still took off. But we'll stay on the same story. All good. Um, plenty of time. <laughs> and so I remember being twelve years old, and this thing is just huge, right? And my dad's in there, and he's like, "Well, I don't know how we're getting this thing back because it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's I can't remember how far it was. It was like eight hundred or so meters as the crow flies." And he oh, must wow. that's, that's a hell of a shot. Yeah, well, so I figured it out later on, like when I grew up a little bit more, I was like, wait a minute. Okay, so in reality, you shot way too high and you lucked right out. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was he shooting? Like a 300 wind mag? Uh, seven mil, seven mil Parker. Oh, okay. oh, oh. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so we, we start to gut this. Well, all right, I guess we start processing this thing. And, you know, everything, the liver looked good, everything, everything checked out. And he's like, well, okay, well, we're going to try, we're going to, we're going to move this, don't worry. And I remember sitting there, it must have been for hours. It was started, we shot this thing probably at two and then it started getting dark and we hadn't moved this thing more than a foot. It wasn't until that the farmer was like, well, I haven't seen those, they haven't checked in to leave. They haven't come say, cause normally we go say hi when we leave. Thanks for the opportunity. Have a great day. See you next time. Right. Yeah, yeah, the cl- the classics, like the classics, right? Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. courteous, being, being a human being and being courteous right. yeah, <laughs> goes a long way for sure. Yeah, yeah. have a conversation. The guy goes a long way. Um, so luckily enough, he was like, "Well, where are they?" So you know, he's out in his tractor, and luckily he's got the forks on it, and he sees the van, and then we see him in the distance, and he must have seen us, and he slowly makes his way to us. He's like, "Well, it seems like a long way." It's like, "Yeah." Certainly does. Well, I'll help you out. Get it to your van. So we didn't think more than that. We had this. <laughs> we had this moose. We opened up the back of the van. We laid down the back seats in it, and we had him put the moose inside the van. Oh, that's really so with his tracker. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. Oh man, dude, so, that is so awesome. I uh, it, I mean, it took a little bit. It wasn't a clean insert, but it was like back end. Well, but if you guys had to pack it out, like. Just because your status, you don't have to keep the whole moose intact, right? You could debone it in the field. Yeah, so we we've done that. Um, not in this case; it was in the future. Uh, we've done it in the past, where we've uh, where we've taken apart, um, cleaned up the meat and whatnot, and packed it out leg by leg by top half, bottom half. You don't have to keep the gender intact, um, so it's a lot easier that way. Um, yeah, it works out. In this case, we didn't do that because I don't think it would have helped us at all. But uh, <laughs> you guys were uh, hunting on prairie then, right? Like uh, in the porcupine. So yeah, uh, well, just kind of rolling hills. Yeah, well, it's though, right? foothills. It's, it's straight up, straight down. Is what you're it's a lot of rolling hills though, right? For like, from yeah. my memory, it's kind of the doldrums of the old glacial. Yeah, glacial yeah, yeah, you got yeah. it. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I remember bringing that in. So my dad was a was a volunteer firefighter, and uh, I don't know if we can actually say this, but anyway, so we ended, we ended up hanging it inside the fire hall. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> you know that is so small town fire that hall. That is small town. And yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Those firefighters they sit around doing fuck all. Like it was- <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we had a, we had a couple of them. We we um, we had actually called a couple of them. By the time we got it to our van and whatnot, a couple of them were out there to give us a hand. So when we got it to the fire hall. They were there to help us get it up and hang it up. And then um, 
uh, one of the, I don't know why my dad didn't do it, but he didn't let it, he, in my opinion, now looking back at it, he didn't let it hang near enough. Because it wasn't until like the next two days where there were eight guys cutting up the mass of moose and separating it up and whatnot. And it was pretty cool to see like uh, the community kind of pull together for that. So, so are you a fan of uh, the long hang or do you like to... I'm not talking about in the trousers, but <laughs> do, you prefer to, do you prefer to let your animals hang for a while or like uh, Blair, Blair and I, I don't know, over the last few years, we've really been fans of just butchering ASAP. Uh, what's, what's, what's your preference? Mike? Smaller animals. I don't mind hanging for shorter times, like even overnight, just to get it out of rigor mortis and wait maybe a day. Larger animals. I like to wait about a week. So like a moose or, or, you know, if you buy a cow off a farmer, I like to hang it for a week at, and I try to control the temperature at about four degrees. So hide, hide off clearly though. Hide right off away. clearly. Yeah. yeah. And so I find that, um, it gives it a, a bit different, it gives it a much better flavor in my opinion. And, uh, some of your more traditionally tougher cuts, um, they get a little bit more tender just from, uh, the decomposition of the meat and what have you. Yeah. Cause like I, I've butchered. I don't know. I don't know. I think you and I cut up a deer once. There, and man, your skills are pretty top notch. And I remember talking to you. I was like, you're man, fast. you got some, you got some solid skills. And you go, oh yeah, my dad took like a meat cutting course or something. I don't know. And he kind of yeah facilitated the transfer of that knowledge to yourself. And uh, they they were quite impressive to watch. I actually learned quite a bit from yeah. uh, from working with Mike there on that one. Was well, probably so ten years ago. Shit. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, man. oh my yeah, god. I feel super old. Oh my god. Yeah. So your dad ran like meat cutting shop, a butcher shop, right? Years ago. Yeah. yeah years ago. Before so I was born. Did you guys eat game? Oh, before you were born. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. thought you grew up and he was growing that. I was and ask, did you guys eat game or did you get butcher meat? Oh no, we ate game all I, I don't want to say exclusively growing up, but we ate lots of game growing up. Um I remember I see you have my hundred pound dog trying to climb into your lap. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> it's hard to tell a story with Scout here. No, it's okay. <laughs> it's all good. Um I remember uh like I said before, we we didn't um exercise our, our treaty uh, privileges before. Yeah. Um, so that's when my dad, I mean, at the time my older brother, they would have draws and whatnot. And, and so we would, we would process as much of that as we could. And we lived off it as much as we could. And, um, you know, at the time being, uh, being where we lived, when we, when we started exercising some of those treaty privileges, um, it made it a lot easier. So that's when we started, pretty much exclusively living off a of wild game. You know, we would still supplement some things, you know, pork or beef just for, you know, burgers. Fucking check and wangs. But yeah, it was, it was a big part of growing up. Um, I remember um, going back to like army things, but I remember when I joined the army and I, and I'd go to, to camp to train like Wainwright. And I remember the first little bit, my gut was just so upset because it wasn't what I was used to. It's like this. This isn't game. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you mean? All the chow with salt, Peter, to really oh, <laughs> to really torpedo your libido. I know that's probably just a myth because uh, you know they fed us quite well. I don't know. They felt they fed us quite well in Canadian forces for real. Like, yeah, I saw the food good at times. <laughs> but I, I remember when I started dating my wife. Uh, it, you know, it was still a very prominent thing to have a lot of game. And, and that's really all that uh, when she'd stay over or I'd make her dinner, that's all that I'd make her is, yeah. you know, you know, a stew or a roast, or I'd find, I'd make some nice steaks or like tenderloin. I remember my mm. dad always taking nice. tenderloin and he'd, uh, I mean, it's already a very rich tender cut, but we'd pound it down with a meat tenderizer and bread it. And, uh, mm. I made that for, Ooh, <laughs> we, uh, we made that for a couple of times. 
uh, or I made that for a couple of times, I should say. Oh man, you must have really, that's where you must know and you must have really liked her when you started dating her if you're going to like feed her tenderloin. Yeah. Like, right. I just cut mine out immediately and fried up and eat it just myself. <laughs> Save it I've for seen, a good occasion. I've seen Blair's like deep throat of tenderloin. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I remember uh, my dad. He he used to keep the hot, the the heart, sorry, and the liver, and and he cooked that up. And I remember trying hard a couple of times. I wasn't really a big fan of it, but we'd still, I'd still try to make it work. And then when I met Blair, I remember him being like, "Oh yeah, no, give me the heart, the tongue, the liver, whatever." Okay, I, I've seen. Part, okay, part. so one time, um, I'm at Blair's house, and Blair is trying to figure out how to cook a diaphragm so he can eat oh, it. What? <laughs> It was a diaphragm. You're like, I'm not sure what kind of meat this is. I was, and I look at you and I go, dude, that's a diaphragm. And you're like, whatever. <laughs> just like, you Yo, just yeah, I it. remember because oh, I sat there and ate the whole right. thing. I ate the whole thing because you guys were like, you can't eat that. And I'm like, yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah. It kind of reminded <laughs> me of, uh, it kind of reminded me of shit. What's that movie with John Candy? The Great Outdoors where he goes to, <laughs> he goes to eat that steak that's the size of a fucking boogie board. <laughs> and, and you know he eats all the meat and they're like oh there's just fat and gristle left that's kind of well I don't know it's a diaphragm so that was that was what you were trying to you were trying to figure out a it's preparation a method were you were you frying it up or what were you yeah, doing it's like a very thin it's like a quarter inch if it's that. kind of this thin spongy sheet is the yeah, way I was we, we just had like the pan going and we're throwing bits into the pan as we were butchering so how did you it, keep it clean when you field dressed him I have no idea. I think he must have rinsed it off because you definitely took nah. it out of a bag. <laughs> from what I recall. Yeah, but then, you had, that but would then we had like a giant bag. fire and then we like drank like a Texas Mickey and a, and oh, a that's, keg that's, of beer. So. Hey, well, that, I think maybe we solved that puzzle. <laughs> I you know, I don't, I don't mind liver. It's done well. But uh, so Mike, is there any, aside from just like eating the meat, do, do you have any like, um, do you have any like cool projects to do with other parts of the animal? <laughs> no, I, I attempted to to cure a hide once or twice, but uh, never really worked out for me. So, never really had the time to to do it properly. So I've um, so what are, what are some of the pitfalls, I guess, of the DIY, especially for hides? Because you know you, you can go to Cabela's, you can go to Bass Pro. I think now a few other places they have kind of the self tanning kits. Oh yeah, if you will. What what were some of the challenges you encountered when you're trying to do that? Oh, detail. The, the detail of, uh, of scraping off the mung or, or the rest of the membrane, right? And getting it getting it just right and working it in. And then the time. Um, yeah, the time so commitments. The time commitment's pretty big. So with uh, with family and work and whatnot, you know, it kind of gets tossed off to the wayside. You know, you can leave it in a cure or in a, in a, in a tote. Um, and you're supposed to leave it there for an X amount of time. But uh, that's pretty much where it ended for me. So, hey, man, you can do a lot of stuff, right? My uh, girlfriend's got a coworker who's uh, she's kind of like a little she's 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 like kind of hippy dippy, but she was here <laughs> <laughs> in my mind I was like, yeah. can we say that? <laughs> but, uh, she's like a little hippy. Wait, wait, wait! But, so how aggressive is her armpit hair, but, Blair? Oh no! Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, I, I, I had a couple uh, builder hides that were in my freezer for like two or three years because I was oh, like okay. eventually going to tell myself oh, I'm going to tan these, blah blah blah. I never found time. And she took them all and made drums out of them. And they're actually really beautiful. And it made me really happy to like see the pictures of her. It's like, and she sells them, I think. I don't know. But uh, it was really cool to see like, oh, these things were just sitting in my freezer. This is something we threw out. And she actually like made these like really nice drums. They were more like old school Celtic style drums. Sure, yeah. 
I think one of the biggest things that kind of that has held me back from that is not really having anybody to do it with and to learn with. When I was up in Edmonton, there was a, a mutual friend, um, Alan, um, who lives. He lives just. He used to live, sorry, just out by um, by Merithorpe. And um, I asked permission one day to go hunt on his land, and ended up he took me into this wood shop where uh, where he was working on hides. And this was after I had pretty much given up preserving hides and using them. But, uh, you know, when you actually see the process happening in multiple stages and and this old fella uh, explain it to you, it kind of motivates you a little bit more to, to do it, to do it right. But I think that's kind of what's held me back more is uh, the lack of, uh, of knowledge and the availability of such or, or mutual um, commitment to it. Can I, can I tell my favorite hunting story, hunting with you? Okay. Yes. Please, please, please do. Come on, guys. It, share this because like, I've had the opportunity to hunt with both of you. The odd time I've hunted with both of you at the same time. <laughs> and I, I just, I just got to interject real quickly. So one time I'm with Mike and Mike has fucking eagle eyes. And remember, we're, we're out at Mutual Friends down in the Prairie WMUs. Yeah. <laughs> and we pull up. We're there for like seconds out, out on the lease. So it's a yeah. big, massive open area. And I, I, I get out my, my binos. I'm going to start glassing. And Mike looks at me, he's like, what are you fucking taking those out for? The deer are right there. And I'm like, what the fuck is he talking about? There's just these specks on this ridge, like four or five K away. And Mike knows immediately. And I swear, Mike, you just totally like to fuck with us. Because like there was another time where we were out hunting with you. And I think you threw like a handful of dirt in your mouth. And then you were just like... Deer over there. I was like, "What the fuck do you mean?" I turned around. They were right there, yeah. and I'm pretty sure you saw them. And they did yeah. that just to try to fuck. <laughs> I don't know. Like, is a good sorry. game I'll, eye. He's I'll got good game here. eye for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Anyway, I hate okay. to interject, but anyway, carry on, Joel. But my favorite hunting story with you is I was with you, and you'd taken a moose. And <laughs> we brought it back to my house. Yeah. And we were putting together like a. We went and got some like four by four posts, and we were putting together like an A frame to hang it up in the backyard. Yes. And you're running the you're running the skill saw, yeah. and I remember saying to you, "Hey, Mike, you know I think I got some uh, I think I got some eye protection in the car. I'll, I'll grab it for you." And you turned to me and you said, "I don't need any fucking eye protection. I'm not at fucking work." <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then that, <laughs> that's when going beat right right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I that, fucking love that. That's so good. Cool. No, no, it gets better because not like two three minutes later. <laughs> You must hit a knot or something, and you just had like a big sliver just shoot right in your eye. And we were like, are you okay, man? You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then we like finished up the night, and the next morning, I had a call from you like real early in the morning, and you're like, uh, Blair, could you come pick me up and take me to a merge? I get you to get this giant sliver out of my eyeball. <laughs> you got a fucking sliver in your fucking yeah, eye? Yeah, yeah. The nurse had to like pull it out with tweezers. Well, yeah. So it was multiple slivers, so it shot up. And I remember at the time, like, I, I, could, I physically removed wood from my eye. I'm like, okay, yeah, it's, it's good. It's still irritated. But, I mean, who doesn't have irritated eyes when you get something in them? It's fine. I, I physically removed wood from my eye, so we keep going. And, yeah, it was the next morning I woke up, and, man, I couldn't open my eye. It was so sore. And so I was like, okay, i got to call Blair. So Blair came all the way. I was in South Calgary at but, the time. But I gotta say, was Blair disappointed that you were asking him over for a hospital ride? <laughs> 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 
And I'm like, oh, hey, what's up? <laughs> I think about that often because poor Blair sat in that hospital all day. But it wasn't a bad experience because it was the brand new self-health campus. Yeah, and they yep. were just opening parts of it. So and it's quite nice, yeah. yeah, yeah it was yeah. still nice. Now it's all busy and terrible. But yeah. it, it was just brand new then. It was awesome. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that was an interesting go. And ever since then, safety classes. <laughs> I, I will say, like, I've totally told that story at safety meetings at my work to my employees. <laughs> and this is why you always wear safety glasses. Yeah, and ever since then, I always pack them. <laughs> well, you know what? You're almost better to wear safety glasses, get injured at work, because you know what? There is no benefits in your off hours. <laughs> so... Any vision, any uh, any long-standing issues from that? Any eye issues? No. You haven't lost that game eye that is just like laser beams. No, I don't think so. Still pretty, still pretty sharp. I don't know. He's the only guy I hunt with that sees deer while he's driving better than everybody else in the vehicle. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Country's got pretty good at it. But anyway, do you, Mike, do you do any small game at all? Uh, no, not not too much. I've I've gone obviously I've gone a couple of times with you. Um, I've gone a couple of times with Smoke Trail Steve. Um, but I, <laughs> I haven't focused too much on small games. So it's not really, yeah, yeah. It's not really anything. Because I remember you and I, like, shit, I think it was probably, like, shit, do I say 10 years ago? Oh, you, you were asking me to come along for turkey, and I go, sure. Hold on, I guess what priority is, because I had to look before season. Yeah. And the priority is quite large. There's not a lot of turkeys in Alberta. No, they're mostly down... Uh, Crow's Nest. Yeah, you got a place, though, because like, uh, my, my nephew used to live kind of out that way, and I went to pick him up one time. And I had to get out of my car and shoot turkeys always <laughs> get to his house. Wild turkeys? Yeah, yeah. They're there. Yeah, they're so they're if... there in large numbers, man. But you can't just like take a slingshot out and snap them in the uh... Oh man, I'm, I'm just remembering I forgot to put in priority this year for my turkey draw. Yeah, yeah but you you remain static though. Okay, good. West of the twenty two and north of the three, and that's where you'll find them. Well, oh, oh, you shared that with our listeners, but that just wow. sounds like nonsense numbers. Yeah, to, uh, they don't know what's going on even then. Yeah, man. Oh, man. So, so Mike, can I can I tell you the story of how I met Mike? Totally sure. randomly. <laughs> so we're at, we're at this bar called the Weasel Head, which is like the unofficial mess oh, of, yeah. uh, of one I've of the, the limo units here. So anyway, we go in there. And I have no clue who Mike is, even though we're part of the same unit. And there's this uh, this guy who is now deceased. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about, yes. living large lad there. And he had this woman on his arm who I thought he would like, because there was all these stories that he paid all these high-priced yeah. women to come to camp. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't like this guy, and I didn't want to talk to him. I'm like, who's this dude? Because he's wearing this tan shirt. <laughs> and that was the first day I met Mike. And, I, and I'm like, dude, who are you? Like, I've been around this long. And he's like, who are you? I've been around this. <laughs> and, and like, I don't know, just the way our career stacked up. Yeah, we didn't really. Uh, we, we didn't, didn't really, really know each other, even though we had a, a ton of ti like time in, and no clue each. <laughs> no, uh, actually, I got to correct you. The first time I actually met you, uh, you obviously didn't know who I was, and I didn't realize who you were until afterwards. But it would have been my first time in the mess, and you were back from training. And uh, oh, I would have been the sixteen-year-old kid without a uniform going into. Wow, the mess. you were that young. And you jacked me up for being in the mess without a uniform. You're like, God, don't worry about it. Just keep, just go get a drink. Keep going. So, okay. Man, that sounds like something I do. God, Canada's all about the child soldiers. Aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> you go to the military way too young in this country. 
No, the, uh, 16, but you can't serve. You can't like actually serve overseas till you're 18, right? No. Yeah. So it takes two years of training really for you to get anywhere. But I, yeah. I know I don't want to give a shout out to the CF. But I am. no. But I mean, like, <laughs> but, the, uh, but as for actually hanging out with you afterwards and carry on hunting, yeah, that would have been at the wheeze. Oh shit! Yeah, because like, fuck. I remember. So it was Smoke Trail, Steve's wedding. And uh, Ooh, do you remember? So, yeah. do you, so Mike Mike goes home because he crashed at your house, Blair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you remember this? And then, so Blair yeah, wakes up all hung <laughs> over, all ruined from the fucking wedding. Oh, it was a good wedding. Yeah, and uh, Blair was so like, because I saw you by great before you left, and you're yeah. like, hey, there's a note for him. But Blair was all upset that you didn't <laughs> say goodbye. You left with us saying goodbye, but you, he left me a beautiful note. <laughs> he, he left you like the most. I don't know. Do I call it a homoerotic note? But it was super funny. <laughs> no, it's yeah. just the love between two friends, Mark. <laughs> I don't know. It was really funny. It was very provocative. And then, uh, so Blair I just was all being upset till I read it. And then my yeah, 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 yeah. Blair was all grouchy. They're like, my name is like bad. And the guy was like, dude, read this, read this love letter. And you were like, uh, and then you sat down and poured yourself a stiff drink. <laughs> and and I remember we were all pissed. All three of us, we were all pissed because Steve had his wedding during hunting season. Yeah, during yes. like a prime weekend with a Who prime a wedding moon? in November. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ruined a perfectly good November weekend, and it was during a prime moon cycle too, where we all wanted to get out because the animals would be going. And and Mike's Mike's like, oh, you fucking guys, <laughs> he's chirping us for a little bit. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, because oh, you guys, brought up you don't the point. have it's, that issue. That's right, because you guys brought up the point that it was. Uh, well, that's it. For now on, their anniversary is going to be in November, and all hunting seasons from now on are ruined. Yeah, well, well not for us, for Steve, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah why would you get married in hunting season? Because you're always going to have your anniversary there, so you're always going to ruin hunting season. He wrote off like th- he wrote off like three days of hunting for us, and like during general season, <laughs> which you know that's that's worth a lot. To myself, yeah. And, 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 and Mike, your reaction was really, really quite gold, right? <laughs> And, and and we were like, ah oh, man, and and then we both realized, oh wait, no, there's systemic issues. Where <laughs> perhaps we are not upset by that anyway. But it was, it was pretty funny to put that in in perspective, for yes. sure. Hundred percent. Yeah. So so we 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 typically ask a lot of a lot of people to come on, Mike. What's your dream hunt, dude? Like, have you hunted internationally at all? No. Do you have any desire to? Yeah, I think that would be a pretty fun time. It's, uh, I know you guys have, have, have done it, or at least you have, Mark. Uh, and yeah, yeah, Blair recently Blair, did. Yeah, I've been um, maybe yeah. So, Blair is a giant fucking cheapskate. And I got to tell you the story of how Blair went overseas. So, we were at this uh, Safari Club International, the Calgary chapter, shout out SCI Calgary, international chapter of the year, two times in a row. Anyway, um, one of the hunts was going for a really good price, and Blair, like, God, I've never seen Blair so excited and scream louder in his life, which, you know, is a loud guy, and Blair is also a fellow loud guy. Just stands up, bam, sold it. I've never seen him so excited in his life, so that's how Blair ended up going to Namibia, and um, fuck, I feel like an idiot because I totally forgot where I'm going with the story because this rum is really, really fantastic. But Blair went, uh, probably, I don't know, about a week after I went with a different outfitter, and you, you know what? It had kind of been... Hunting internationally, kind of, you see it on TV and everything. Yeah. It's not. It's a, it's a it's real like misrepresentation. Oh, okay, but uh, I know an outfitter in South Africa, Mike, that you can bring your wife with, and we can all go. And uh, you know what? Maybe maybe when the world gets back on its feet, we'll, yeah. Uh, they they I think they I think this outfitter has a deal where they, they do like th- like it's a three couple or four couple deal. Oh, and yeah. includes like winery tours and a trip Ooh. to Cape, like a plane trip to Cape Town. Anyway, Mike. We'll get we'll get you hunting overseas because it's yeah. uh, it's it, you know what is is different 
as it is, it's uh, it's very much like hunting at home. <laughs> I don't know. There were well, some days I, where me and my dad were like, we 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 were like kind of running out of cash to shoot animals. So, well, well, you guys shot everything. <laughs> yeah, because my dad's like a dead eye shot, and he didn't even think he wanted to shoot anything until he got there. <laughs> but uh, we we had a couple times where we sat in some uh, some like bow blinds. Yeah, that the guide had. We watched like giraffes come in and stuff like that. And I remember telling the guide like, "Hey, like this is awesome. Like, like you should like market to more like people could bring their wives. And I know lots of ladies love to bring a camera, just like sit here and watch these like." Animals oh, come yeah. in real close. I, I think I brought my wife on every international hunt I've ever Yo, done. No, but he, my, my PH laughed. Oh. He laughed because I think he thought I, he, I was making like a, like a oh yeah, keep your wife happy joke. But I was like, no, I'm 100% serious. I, I know lots of ladies that would like to come in and just like hunt with a camera and sit in these blinds and see the animals come in. Yeah, I think that's interesting actually. And, and I mean, it makes it a lot more uh, plausible. Well, let's, uh, <laughs> let's stop being salesmen here for a sec. But Mike. What's the international hunting or dreams? Do you have one, or, or like not even international, or in Canada? Is there well, anywhere well, yeah, you want to go yeah, to hunt like, in Canada or something you've never hunted? You'd what, like what, hunt? What, what's the hunt for you that is just the iconic one? That ooh, the iconic hunt. Uh, you know what? I've never been. Uh, I've never been mountain sheep, mountain goat hunting, um, and I don't know too many people who have successfully. Uh, or know the ropes, but I think I would definitely like to take, see, like, one, two weeks off and, and just go for that uh, that experience. So, I mean, all of the hunting that I've really done has been, you know, in the prairies, in the foothills, or kind of in the northern boreals of uh, Alberta. I, I tell everyone, though, prairie hunting, to me, is my favorite. <laughs> it is my favorite. I don't mind but, foothills so much, but... But back to sheep or goat. As status, can you hunt sheep or goat? Or are they, uh, are they like classified that's a good question actually um, i don't, I so don't to know be that answer honest with you i would have to reach out to the fish and wildlife officers um which is actually a pretty interesting note a couple of years back um when the government switched over from the not to get too political when the government switched over to the ndp goddamn government yeah anyway all right. it's all good man um, so the government switched over the government switched over there was this uh memo that was released basically saying hey you know if you're aboriginal and you have status what's your status treat like your treaty lands aren't in Alberta then you're no go for for hunting oh they were only gonna allow like Alberta tribes to that's hunt right in Alberta. or if you're if your treaty overlapped into Alberta and so obviously I mentioned before my family's from oh he's yeah, yeah, yeah we were Max born here but, Brunswick yeah so that, that's that's a no-go for us for as so ever since then um well I when this happened I actually got pulled over at a wildlife uh check stop mm-hmm and this is the only reason why I knew is because this wildlife officer said, hey, man, just so you know, this is coming down the pipe. You know, you're good today. You might not be good tomorrow. So your status card, does it say like, does it say like Mic yeah. on it? Uh, no, it just says what, uh, what tribe you're with and whatnot. So mine says uh, Big Cove. And, oh, so it actually references a reserve? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and so they, they check it and they'll put it through the system. And so that was uh, twenty. That was twenty fourteen. So we're looking at six years ago now. But ever since then, you know, knowing that that's in the making, having some fish and wildlife friends, that's still a topic that's brought up. So I still reach out to the wild, the fish and wildlife, just to make sure because when it happened or when it was about to happen, it was one of those things that it was posted on every fish and wildlife office door, um, but it wasn't really made that. Um, uh, yeah, it was available. Yeah. Have you ever had any, any runs with Fish and Wild? 
right? Yeah, I've had a couple. <laughs> so, so what, what is that like? Like, so yeah. usually what happens is somebody sees you hunting, you know, out of season is typically what it is. You're hunting out of season. Yeah, because you've taken animals in the spring. Yeah, yeah. If it's yeah. cold enough, because um, I hang mine outside still or, or you know, not uh, in, in a shed or something like that. So it's still wise to shoot it when it's cold out so you don't waste the meat. So early spring. Early spring. Um, so you're out of season or maybe it's something where like, you know, you're shooting a mule deer where mule deer isn't really open in that area. And so somebody calls you in and they take your license plate and away you go. So there's been a couple of times where the fish cops have uh, tracked my license plate down to my address and they knock on your door and they just say, oh, Mr. Harkwell, I heard that you harvested a deer. Yes. Oh, well, do you mind if we take a look at it? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. So wait, they look at the deer before they even ask you what you're... So both times this has happened, Yes. They want to look at the deer before they ask. Um, I'll get to another story where they, they they asked before, and that's actually when I was up in Edmonton. So this is when I was still living south uh, south of Calgary, and okay. so I took them into actually my dad's shed where I had them hanging up. And he's like, oh, why well, I noticed there's no tags. Well, yeah, there's no tags. Why don't you have tags? And why are you out of season? <laughs> oh, because I'm status. And so like... You know, looking at me, we don't look too Aboriginal, right? I mean, looks can be deceptive. Though. Like, yeah. What does that mean, though, right? You don't look something, right? And yeah, that's, uh, right. Yeah, that's kind of this old school philosophy. Yes, but you can see the gears turning in the CO's head, that's right? Right. So we try to be as progressive here as we can because we're all pretty mellow. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> I, I produce my card and I produce the driver's license so we can compare it and. You know, it's usually they give the explanation. Oh, you know, somebody saw you on somebody's land, take an animal, and it's. You know, out of season. It's all good after that. But, so, you know, people don't know, though. They see it no, in a distance. Like, that's it. And so, you know, yeah. good on them for reporting, right? Because, I mean, you, you know, never 100%. know. Report, report a poacher and the fact yeah. that people... See a poacher, um, report a poacher, 100%. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? Um, the general public or, sorry, uh, the rural population, your job is just to observe. Enforcement is down to... So you don't get on them for saying it, right? And I know it's a hassle probably for you, but... Well, yeah. You know, the first time that it happened, I, I you know kind of childish of me but i did take a little offense to it you're probably young though i was young and then you know afterwards you start to realize it's like hey these guys are just doing their job and they're doing it good they're doing it well right and so that was uh, another reason why i started reaching out to the fish cops whenever i'd go out be like hey you know i'm gonna be in this area this is what i plan to be doing you know have the rules changed any because if you open up the fish and wildlife regulations it's kind of very vague as to it's vague and there's a lot of gray <laughs> yeah there's a lot of gray so you know I, I that way i've kind of i've avoided a lot of issues and i think i've maintained a pretty good relationship with a lot of guys when i was in uh when i was in edmonton is the only time where i've actually had them ask the first thing he asked is are you status well yes so you're that okay. little bit up north that's that's why yeah um yeah so you know that way it's been pretty good i've had people um i've had people ask me if i could cover for them of which the answer no. is always no. Yep. Yeah, because I know uh, if you follow news, like there's been some uh, some incidents, I guess, over the last few years, kind of related to that, where guys just kind of um, I don't know facilitate. Yeah, <laughs> and, and 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 you know what? Good on for you, Mike. Like I, I know I'm kind of moving around because I'm trying to adjust myself while I'm sitting here, but. But is it is it a common feature? Do you often have people trying to ask you to kind of informally guide for them? Yeah, to be honest with you, there's it's it's you know a handful of, of people 
uh, really two. And, <laughs> and uh, when the the answer, you know, he just he wants to come out and hunt with you, and and he has his tags and whatnot. But it's always like, you know, what? if I mess up, you're here. Well, well, no, yeah. no, I'm not. If you mess up, you're on your own. Because you know, if I get caught with something like that, yeah, I you're mean, not gonna put your ass in a sling. No, yeah. you know, and it's it's a perspective thing, it's a respect thing, and then uh, you know, I've had one other uh, individual reach out to me after the fact. Oh, mm-hmm. shit. And uh, it's like, no. It's kind of a hot area for fish and wildlife. Well, no names, no pack drill. That's true. Yeah. No lifetime ban. No. But, you know, to be honest with you, uh, as of recent, I haven't had too many issues with that. I, you know, I've addressed both of the, I've, I've addressed both of the people and where I stand on that. And Yeah. So sheep hunting, mountain hunting. Yeah. Is there anything else, man, that kind of blows your hair back? Oh man, I hear you guys oh, like, like up, up north? north. Yeah, do you, you like know, bison had, or caribou or something? I've had a lot of friends come from up north, like the NWT and the Yukon and whatnot, and I think that would be amazing. I did a lot of work up in uh, in high level. Oh, um, nice! Just with environmental and my bro spent a bunch of time there. Yeah. Oh, it looks great. You know, for the, for the hunting, it's just untamed land, right? So I think I think that would be another one that I that I'd love to do. And it's one of those things like you're standing up there when you're on a job, and you're like, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna come back here. I'm gonna do this, and one of these days, I'm eventually gonna get a couple guys up there and go up north to the Yukon or the NWT. My neighbor right now, he's from the Yukon. Did you fish at all, though, Mike? Uh, yeah, I still fish. Yep. Okay. Um, and there's there's a guy I know. Uh, he runs what's called Hero Lodge. He's Van Du. Oh yeah. Don't hold him against him. <laughs> I never do. So uh, a, a good opportunity to go out there and fish with him. But uh, we'll we'll, we'll talk yeah, we'll talk okay. offline. Yeah, yeah. Like I I did a I did a trip with him. It was a forty five minute float plane ride out of Ooh. Yellowknife, dude. Wow. So he uh, he runs his operation just for vets. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, so. But anyway, he uh, he's recently branched out into into hunting. So we'll. Oh, we'll that's ta- awesome. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk, talk offline. We'll talk offline. So there's uh yeah yeah but anyway sorry. Dude, that's awesome. I love I love the north though. Like uh I really want to go to the Yukon cuz I heard not only is it beautiful, but also it is awesome. like this is the hard liquor and hunting stories podcast. The Yukon, especially Dawson City, apparently you can stumble from bar to bar to bar and a Yukon shot oh, yes. is like drinking You can you can do the uh, my, my a jug of hard liquor. And you know what? I will kiss the toe. My dad and, did uh, the toe. I, that's the one he did that's, the toe. Yeah, my dad, he's a big backpacking backcountry backpacker and he did the he did the Chilkoot Trail, and he when you came into Dawson City up over through the American side, and he drank the toe. Can't well, do it right now because the Caribbean COVID, you can't like put the toe in your mouth anymore. What? Uh, this is the alcohol. Uh, but but here's here's kind of the thing I, I I learned about in the last few years: the toe because it's such a novelty item. People try to steal it, swallow yeah. it, do whatever. Oh no, they it's not the original toe anymore. No, no. So they have a jar full of toes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which like in any other place on the planet, you'd be like a serial murderer, <laughs> like because that would be your trophy. And because they're just like, oh, that idiot swallowed the toe or drank the toe, bam. Yeah, but but you know, we'll we'll talk offline, and uh, you you know, we'll we'll get one down up there, man. But I, sure. I brought it up because if you're going up north hunting, I want to come. Oh, you, yeah, hands down. One yeah. of the big challenges is the cost, though. So like, uh, for you as a non uh, a non resident of the north, yep. to hunt up there, it, it's quite expensive, especially for big game. Whereas you could go hunt in Africa, and well, like or. I don't, I don't want to say Europe because like I, I don't really have much experience there, but um, you, you know you can go on safari for for fairly reasonable price. But I, I digress anyway. Well, I was gonna say like that's another oh there's so many so many hunts I'd like to be part of. I hear your guys' story from Africa and whatnot, and I think that's just amazing. I'd 
I'd like to go back in time and go with you guys. Dude, it was way different than I thought it would be the first time I went. Like, because you see all these shows and it's just trigger pull, trigger pull, trigger pull. But I talked to an outfitter and he said, well, the thing is you sell that. You sell the trigger pull because guys get the juice. They get get all amped up. No, and they have clients that that's what they're into. That's what they want, right? Yeah, and there's kind of a new generation of hunters where we're we're kind of into the totality of the experience. Yeah, absolutely. I would say I I, I totally get it. And um, it... And it didn't really do justice. Like, you look at it, and I, I think the first time I went, everybody I talked to said, oh, you're not going to shoot past 100. And I think the shortest shot I had was 287. Wow. <laughs> well, they judge your skill level and whether you can get out of the vehicle and walk. And well, yeah, you know, they, they, they're they very accommodating, for sure. They for sure. they immediately judge your skill level. Like, our, our hunt changed after me and my father for, shot our first deer, and my, my dad was, like, seeing stuff. Before the guy. Wait, wait, your first deer? Or not deer. Antelope. My dad, Antelope. yeah, my dad kept calling them bucks out there, but no, everything there is not, they're not ungulates. What? Oh, no, they're antelope. Yeah, they're, they're all they're different. They're all antelope. antelope. Yeah, it's, they're uh, all rams Wow. One of the things that was, rams and ewes. It's the, it's the amount of animals, but like, shit, Mike, I would love to go with you, and I would love to go and say like the Bushman territory in Namibia, and I would like to, like, like just jumping into a different indigenous group and kind of kind of yeah. seeing the way they do it persistent hunting like man that would be super cool to watch actually kind of uh like, i don't want to like, say culture like, class like but but bushman <laughs> 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 they're they're pretty hardy individuals though man that's uh yeah, well man. you were saying before that uh that the prairies is like is your is your jam and it uh, is one jam. of the things that i haven't got to do as uh is actual antelope hunting in south or southeastern alberta here and it's I'm, tough though tags well I've heard Montana's, you know, <laughs> Montana's a little easier for, for individuals who do not have status. Yeah, me. no, but it's, uh, that's one of those things like, you know, I've done a lot of work in, in the medicine hat area and whatnot. And you watch these, you watch yeah, you her. See Shit. These what was that Blair, Blair and I, so, uh, this past season. So Blair drew an elk tag in an area where we had seen consistent elk. And, uh, well, anyway, we were out looking and, um, we actually saw antelope. In the area for the first time in probably 10 or In that years. area, yeah. Yeah, and I guess I guess one of the challenges is with uh, with an antelope, well, I don't know, pronghorn. Call them antelope, I guess. Is, yeah, is prong, kind of they're pronghorn. Yeah, yeah, so pronghorn. So we saw a fair grip of pronghorn. But the problem was they were in the edge of an area where we didn't have access and they were getting chased by by coyotes. And, and, I, and I think coyotes we, have they, kind of a... They went into reserve. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I guess uh, coyotes, they get... They get kind of um, first crack at the young, if you will. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty tough on the population. But that was the first time I've ever seen them out there. But Yeah, that was right by the Sisica? Yeah, it's Sisica, I think, by Gleeson. No doubt. Hit yeah, that. so like we, we talked to the landowners, and back in the day, I guess they were so plentiful out there that all their first animals that were taken were pronghorn. Like Clooney and whatnot area. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but like I wouldn't be surprised if next year we go out there and there's a fair grip of them. But we you were know, kind of shocked that the elk just disappeared. <laughs> Yeah, you know, their circle could be, I was always taught by my dad that, uh, that they have like a, a circle that they follow, obviously not too regimented, but I mean, you know, they, they move obviously from shelter to food to water and this circle could be days or weeks or, you know, like a month long before they'll complete it. I've always heard like a three day cycle. Could be a three day circle. Yeah. Like uh, that's just like my, <laughs> my, my family, Manitoba, I think they're a three day cycle. So I was reading this big thing, um. So it was a meteor the other day. They posted a whole thing about uh, mule deer disappearing and how that myth. So in 1990s, there was this uh, biologist who said mule deer were, are on the verge of extinction. And what he based his kind of plan was, I guess, I don't know, Blair, you grew up in Manitoba. 
mule deer had kind of disappeared from Manitoba, but apparently when they're making I, when a I comeback. Grew up, we never had mule deer. Apparently, I like my family farms all like right on the U.S. border. And apparently, yeah, like you're right on the verge of North to Dakota, see them back right? and they see some like hybrids. Yeah, they, they thought hybridization like, was the end yeah, of the species for and sure. And they, it's just mule deer are just coming back. There's not a season for them or anything. It's this is like within the last five years that okay. our guys are seeing mule deer in southern Manitoba. You know, that's 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 great for the species, though, because, like, you keep hearing these things about wildlife populations being down, and yes, that's upsetting, but I think here in Canada, there's a really good management plan because Canadians really value. And, and I'm not saying other places don't. Of course, everybody does. Yeah. More, more we're just We're just so lucky to have the bounty we have. That's... 100%. So, I notice... Uh, I look at the time. Yeah. We're, we're, we're coming, we're coming slowly close to the time, and um, my drink count has been yeah, lost you're, in you're my brain. Yeah, you look a little rum sleepy right now. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say rum sleepy, but I'm definitely rum warm. Well, now you're rum punchy. <laughs> oh, my God! <laughs> fucking straight right, talking about right uh, fucking now, babe. <laughs> um, so, Mike, you're our guest. Yeah. The show is about featuring our guest, man. Do you have any parting wisdom, parting words, anything you'd like to kind of say, anything you'd like to share? You could both, you could tell Blair and I to fuck off, or you could be like, Mark, you any other drinks, so you just shut the fuck up at this point. No, <laughs> no I think you kind of hit it on the head there with your comment about it, like the hunt just being about the total experience, and that's something that I've I've always enjoyed. I've always exercised a lot of guys that I've, I've, I've taught a lot of guys to hunt. Um, you know, I, obviously my style, and there's, there's so many different styles, but I've, I've, brought a lot of guys under i brought them into into the hunting experience into the conservation and that's the the biggest driving point i have is the total experience from you know the recce to the flash to the bang to the cutting to the to the you know making your own sausage and whatnot and i uh you know i encourage guys to 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 try that entire uh experience because it changes it right it changes yeah. the whole feeling of hunting. 100 yeah, percent like ownership. a whole cycle yeah. yeah you know it means a lot more you know i i well, I in got in. You got me into that, and now it's one of the things I really, really enjoy. No doubt, hey. It's part of the community hunting. Like yeah. you take the animal, oh yeah, hundred percent. Um, the butchering, the processing, all that. It's uh, yeah. I'll never pay another to... butcher to do my deer ever again. <laughs> There's a certain sense of ownership when you go through all the processes. Like you handle the ammo, you scout, you do the yeah. recce. You take and, the shot, yeah. and you, you know, field dress, you process, you serve it, and there's this pride and ownership in that. And then it ends yeah. when somebody at the table has been like, mm, mm, this is really good, and it just is so satisfying. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to lie. You guys ate that uh, that sausage oh. we had right before it started. and uh, Yeah, Mark made a, a pretty decent honey garlic sausage there, and it, it was, was good. I felt pretty warm. <laughs> it was pretty good. I, uh, I think I ate two of them myself there. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, we'll make sure we send you away with some of our sponsors' coffee there from uh, from bolt action and um but yeah thanks for being on the show mike oh, thanks for the really invite. appreciate yes. it uh, thanks for I being think... on mike i'm glad you're living down south again we're gonna get out this season for sure oh, i'm so glad you live local you asshole <laughs> god I had, to, had to leave us had to leave us <laughs> but anyway once again you're listening to the hard liquor and hunting stories podcast i'm mark joined by my co-host Blair McGregor. Oh my God, he's so robotic. (laughs) And again, our guest, Mike Harkwell. Solid dude, solid hunter. Thanks for sharing your experience with us, Mike. Um, Best of friends. Best of luck. I hate to say coming season because it's the season for him. (laughs) We're we're, we're, we're just at the edge. But you know what? It was a a pleasure to serve with you. And it's it's also a pleasure to hit the field with you. And uh, thanks for taking time out of your day to come with us, man. 
and uh, and, and share that with us. That's uh, it's just been a, a great experience and really enjoyed by by all. And uh, yeah, S- stand by for our next episode. Thanks, guys. Fantastic.